0: Would you go ahead and take your Bible with me and turn to the book of Mark this morning, the book of Mark. We are starting a sermon series uh, this morning, uh, considering the parables of Jesus, considering a handful of of Jesus' parables over the next eight or nine weeks. We're going to take a few of them and unpack them uh, in our time on Sunday morning. This morning, uh, we're looking at a relatively familiar parable, the parable of the sower. And it's a uniquely important parable as well. So if you take your Bible to Mark and uh, chapter 4 is where we'll be, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 20. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and he, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil." And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone... The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where this word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones who, well, the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when, the wor- when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure it for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold stories are important in our culture and in nearly every culture throughout human history we tell stories we like to listen to stories we read stories we go to the movie theater to watch to watch stories jesus told stories and so we're going to spend again a few weeks this summer exploring stories that jesus that jesus told the stories jesus told are called parables in this morning's text, referred to as the parable of the sower, the reason we're going to start here is because of what's written in verse 13. Our understanding of the stories that Jesus tells is contingent on the understanding of the parable of the sower. Jesus says it himself, or asks the question, how then will you understand all of the parables if you don't first understand this parable? This is an important thing to note. So our understanding of all of the parables is contingent on our understanding of the parable of the sower. So in our time this morning, I want to do a couple of things. First, I want to explore a center section of text that isn't actually part of the parable, but is Jesus explaining why parables are being told. Verses 10 through 13 in particular is an aside given to us to answer the question, why parables? Why are we Getting parables, and then I want to explore the parable itself just very briefly in verses one through nine, and then Jesus is so kind as to give us an interpretation of the parable in verses fourteen through twenty, and this is where the meat of our time is going to be spent. So the question that we uh, that we're led to ask in verse ten is why parables? Jesus tells this parable to a large crowd. Look at verses one and two, or verse one in particular. The second sentence there says, and a very large crowd gathered about him. Jesus then gets in the boat. We can see this in our mind's eye. Jesus gets in a boat, sat in it on the sea, and this large crowd, this whole crowd is is stretched out across the beach. And so Jesus teaches them from, from the boat. But when he's finished telling the story, look at verse 10. Says and when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So uh, there are the crowd is much smaller; it's diminished. They've dispersed, and now we just have the twelve and uh, and 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 a small group of people around him. These are the people who have given up everything to follow Jesus. That's what we're led to believe in verse ten. These are the people who are who have given up everything. to to follow Jesus. These are the ones whose lives display what Jesus says in Luke fourteen twenty six. Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Those are hard words from Jesus. These are the things that we value the most. His father, his mother, his wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life. These are the things that we value most. And so immediately, just looking at verse 26 in chapter 14, immediately we uh, our vision of Jesus is challenged. Immediately our vision of Jesus is challenged. From a live and let live you do you hippie with flowers and flowing hair who stands around saying all you need is love. If that's what you see of Jesus, you may be reading the, a different Bible than I am, and you may be confusing Jesus with Paul McCartney. The, the prescription, though, to that misguided understanding of who Jesus is is to meditate on Luke fourteen twenty six and understand the serious nature of the call to discipleship. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and does not hate his own mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life... He cannot be my disciple. He doesn't just say, uh, it's going to be difficult for you. He says, you cannot be my disciple if you do not set these things aside. So the people Jesus is talking to in verse 10, these are sold out, radical, action taking disciples of Jesus, followers of Christ. They're not dipping their toes in the shallow end of the pool. They're diving headfirst into the deep end and abandoning everything to follow Jesus. So look at what Jesus says to them in verse 11. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. The crowds then are contrasted with with uh, with the followers of Jesus here in verse 10 the people who he's addressing in verse 11 they have given up everything to follow Jesus and they are the ones who have received the secrets of the kingdom of God the crowds are there because Jesus is becoming a household name the crowds are jumping on the bandwagon the verse or the point of verse 11 is that those who have given up everything to follow Jesus received the, ki- the the secret of the kingdom of God. But those who hop on the bandwagon, they get parables. And to further illustrate his point, Jesus says, uh, or quotes, Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Isaiah contrasts seeing with perceiving and hearing with understanding. Jesus uses this to illustrate that just because something goes in your eye doesn't mean that you, you're looking at it. And just because something goes in your ear doesn't mean that you understand what you're hearing. So the crowds could hear, but not understand. The crowds could see, but they could not perceive. Jesus told parables to reveal truth to those who wanted to know it and hide it from those who were apathetic to it. Ray Ortland writes this, Every time you hear the word of God preached, you come away from that exposure to his truth, either a little closer to God or a little further away from God. Either more softened towards God or more hardened towards God, but you are never just the same. And if you think you can hold the gospel at arm's length in critical detachment, that very posture reveals that you are already deadened. The same truth enlivening someone else is hardening you. So Jesus tells parables to reveal truth to his followers and to conceal it from those who weren't. Those who had yet to count the cost, to see the huge cost that was involved in following Jesus. Those who had yet to give up everything to follow Jesus, the truth is concealed from them. But those who are giving it up is an indication of a heart that is prepared to receive the actual truth. So we ask the question, what about the parable itself then? What about the truth that's contained in verses 1 through 9 and then Jesus' interpretation in 14 through 20? The parable of the sower actually helps us to understand these classifications of people that Jesus gives to us in verses 10 through 13. Again, verse 13, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The word is about to be cast, and they are about to receive the secrets of the kingdom of God. So consider the parable of the sower then, verses 1 through 9. Jesus starts, look at verse 3 in particular. Verses 1 through it's give us the setting. But then verse 3, Jesus begins to speak, and he says, listen. He says, listen, behold, or listen, look. This is funny and ironic, because he's saying, again, in verse 12, quoting Isaiah, that even though he tells the crowds to listen, they may not understand. Even though he tells the crowds to look, they may not perceive. Listen, look, he says. A sower sows some seed, he tosses it out, some lands on the path, some lands on rocky soil, some lands among thorns, and some lands on good soil. The seed runs into problems in the first three soils, but grows and flourishes in the fourth. So what about these soils? What makes them unique? And Jesus gives us the interpretation beginning in verse 14 and extends through verse 20. So the sower is sowing the word of God. We're not told who the sower is. That's fine. The sower is sowing the word of God. And when it encounters the first soil, when the word of God hits the path, it's quickly snatched away by Satan. Sin has made the heart of the hearer hardened to the things of God. Sin has made the heart of the hearer hardened to the things of God. The heart is not soft. It is Hard and therefore, when the seed hits it, it bounces off of it and makes it an easy target for Satan. Don't mix this up though, because what Jesus does not say is that the ground is hard because of Satan. Satan sees the target because of sin. People love sin, and that's when they become easy targets for Satan. You and I cannot live a self consumed life that resists God's word and in favor of our own pleasures and comfort. You cannot live a life that listens and follows after the messages of social media and the culture around you instead of God's word. You cannot care to please people rather than to please God. You cannot think that a little white lie in the name of convenience is meaningless. You cannot think that you can fail to love your neighbor, not to mention your enemy. You cannot live like or think like this and not be an easy target for Satan. The word of God will bounce on the path and quickly be snatched away. And you will remain apathetic to the things of God and to following Jesus. This ultimately, what Jesus says here, ultimately is a call to repentance. And we'll flesh that out in our conclusion. But this is a call to repentance. If you are here this morning and you are swimming in sin, you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin and move towards God, and grow in Christ's likeness through God's word. Because the path is growing harder, and you will grow apathetic to God's word, and friend, if you're not a Christ follower, you will spend eternity apart from God in hell. The second soil, though, we see here, the second thing is, when the word of God falls on the rocky soil, even when it's Heard and received with joy, Jesus says, the root system is in jeopardy. So we live in a place where there's lots of growing things right now. We know that without a root system, plants are susceptible to the elements, right? This is a situation that lacks depth. The roots don't go deep, and so the word of God is quickly uprooted. The word of God is quickly uprooted. This is seen in the way that many people do not know how to deal with difficulty in their lives. They believe and follow Jesus on the surface, but they need depth to endure storms in life. Jesus says that when a person runs up against tribulation or suffering, in verse 17, When this person is met with another person who calls them ridiculous for being a Christian and demands that they give answers for their faith in Christ and they can't, this person quickly falls away. If you don't care to engage with God's word and the people of God in your life, you may be the rocky soil. James Montgomery Boyce writes this. He says, just being in church, mouthing the things you hear other people say does not make you a Christian. Yours may be the rocky soil, or maybe the shallow heart, yours may be the rocky soil. That's a legitimate warning. You have the word of God, and if it's not deepening in you, you may not be a Christian at all. Without creating depth, it's just what Craig Baumberg calls temporary superficiality masquerading as true commitment. You know You know that I've expressed this concern before. Failing to read and study God's word is a problem. We all have a whole lot of excuses, but the word of God cannot be neglected if we don't want to be shaken by every news story on CNN and MSNBC. You need a root system, and if that root system isn't being properly fed, you're going to get wrecked by difficulty, suffering, and persecution. Jesus says, if you're a genuine Christian, you cannot. He promises it. If you're a genuine Christian, you cannot avoid suffering. You cannot avoid persecution. You cannot avoid difficulty. And friend, they will rob you of your joy and will rob you of your faith if you are not in your Bible individually and with others. Plain and simple. And maybe your life right now is going pretty well. Maybe things are going well for you. Congratulations, it's a tough time out there. And if you're thinking, yeah, things are going pretty good for me, good. But the Bible isn't just for people going through tough times. This is a lie that evangelicalism has fed to us for decades now. The Bible isn't just for people going through tough times. It's plant's root system isn't going to be developed in the middle of winter when the wind is blowing 60 miles per hour and it's 20 below. It's going to be developed on a nice June afternoon where there's some moisture and the wind is calm and the sun pops through the clouds and shines brightly. Friends, don't wait for the conditions to get terrible to give yourself to God's word. Don't wait for the conditions to get rough to try and develop your root system. The third soil that's mentioned here, when the word of God falls among the thorns, other things become a distraction and the seed is choked out. The number one thing that Jesus talks about as a distraction here is worldly wealth or money. And this is nothing new. Matthew 19, 23, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will the rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Mark ten twenty It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Luke 6.24, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. That's an appetizer about what Jesus says about money? The best example of bandwagon people, they like to hear, or like they like what they hear from Jesus, but their hearts are given other things also. Like the rich young man that Jesus meets in Matthew 19. When they hear that the other things that they love need to be abandoned, they abandoned Jesus instead. Matthew 19, 21, 22, Jesus said to the rich young man, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Consider that when the word of God falls in a heart that isn't completely given, To Jesus, those other things will grow up and choke out the word, Jesus says. Weeds grow quickly. If you have a garden, you get this. Weeds grow very quickly. Anything other than Jesus is a weed that threatens the health and well-being of your Christian life. If you have a garden and you you need to weed it regularly, otherwise those things grow up quickly and, and choke out that which you want to grow. The well being of your Christian life is contingent on the weeding. You need to abandon anything that comes close to Jesus in your heart. Anything that you may love, your satisfaction, anything that you may find your worth in, your meaning in, your security in, your health in, etc. That could be your career, it could be money, it could be material. It could be your politics. It could be your relationships. It could be your family. Anything other than Jesus Christ. Weeds grow quickly and they will choke out the spiritual growth in your life. And when Jesus calls you to abandon everything to follow him, you will wind up abandoning Jesus instead. Friends, you cannot be a Christian and serve Jesus and something else. It's clear in the New Testament. The something else will choke out God's word and you will bear no fruit. Finally, though, the good news is when when the word of God falls on the good soil, it is accepted and it bears fruit. It is a heart that is open on which the word of God falls and bears fruit. Jesus is saying that the way that you know you are a Christian is because you are bearing fruit. Nothing comes and snatches it away before it bears fruit. Nothing comes and uproots it before it bears fruit. Nothing comes up out of the ground and chokes it out before it bears fruit. Friends, if you are not bearing fruit, you are not a Christian. This is what this parable is about. If you are not bearing fruit in your life, you are not a genuine believer. Because the word of God has not gripped you. Apathy and sin, being uprooted by suffering and persecution and tribulation, or the love of money and worldly things, show that God's word has not laid hold of you. But when the word of God falls on good soil, fruit is the result. And so, we need to ask the question, what does it mean to bear fruit? If you're thinking to yourself, well, well, what, do, what does that mean? This seems, This seems harsh and difficult. How do I know if I'm bearing fruit? That's where we're going to conclude this morning. Consider the conditions Jesus describes. Consider the conditions, again, that Jesus describes. The word of God must fall in the good soil in order for it to bear fruit. Or we could say, according to Jesus' interpretation, the word of God must fall in an open heart to be received and to grow and to flourish. And so the bearing of fruit looks like several things. First, to bear fruit is to repent. I said this earlier. To bear fruit is to repent. To repent is to turn from your sin and to go the other direction. When the word of God falls on good soil, repentance is the result. And not just a one-time repentance, but a life of repentance who's constantly going back to God and asking for sin to be revealed. The conviction of sin comes upon you as a Christian. You mourn the sin. You turn from it. You ask God to strengthen you in the power of the Holy Spirit to be free from that sin. Friends, you will not live sinlessly in this life. You will not live sinlessly in this life but you will desire to honor God and live a life of obedience, a life where you are becoming more like Jesus. When the word of God falls on good soil, repentance is the result. Friend, when is the last time that you repented? When is the last time you considered sin? When is the last time that you thought about that which God is revealing to you? I'm not talking about feeling a twinge of guilt. I'm not talking about just thinking about it. I'm not talking about trying to justify yourself. I'm talking about turning and running the other direction into the arms of Jesus Christ, the sinless Savior. Many people ignore their sin and are numb to it. I fear that's many of you. This leads to spiritual apathy and it leads to cynicism. The fruit God's word bears in your life is repentance. The second thing to bear fruit is to grow in maturity and ultimately in perseverance to bear fruit is to grow in maturity and ultimately perseverance god's word creates depth in us it moves us from milk to meat from childhood to adulthood through this process when persecution and troubling and suffer tr- tr- tribulation and suffering come our way, our root system will be deep, and we will rest, knowing that no storm can uproot us. Standing firm in the face of a storm is perseverance. Luke's account of the same parable is summed up like this in Luke 8:15. As for th- as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast and an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Their fruit comes over the course of time. They are patient and they persevere. The fruit God's word bears in your life is maturity, depth, and perseverance. Thirdly, to bear fruit is to abandon all else to follow Jesus. Jesus does not make this optional. We Somehow in our Christian subculture in 21st century America have made this optional. But Jesus doesn't make it optional. God's word, when it falls on an open heart, causes us to see the beauty and infinite worth of Christ above all else. Nothing else comes close. Not money, power, not careers, you name it, will be pursued in the place of Jesus. Again, consider Luke 14.26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Christians in our day and age try to downplay this, but we need to understand the radical nature of the call of Christ placed on every believer. Jesus calls you to abandon all else to follow him. Here's a thought exercise. Just follow this train of thought. If if it became illegal tomorrow if it became illegal or say at noon today to be a Christian would anything in your life that you're doing regularly get you thrown in prison or killed if it seriously became illegal at noon today would you show up to church next Sunday would you share the good news of Jesus Christ with your neighbor would you read your Bible? Or would the world look at your life and say, that person isn't a threat. That person is not a threat. He says he's a Christian. She says she's a Christian, but there's nothing he or she is saying or doing that would really prove that. Jesus and making disciples of Jesus is way down the list on the things that seem important to that person. Just leave them alone. It's fine. the world looks at people who abandon all else to follow Jesus and sees them as a threat. A threat to the love of money. A threat to workaholism. A threat to elevating things that are that are far inferior to the person of Jesus Christ. Buffalo City Church, together are we a threat. I hope we are. I hope we are a threat to the ways of the world. Jesus said that the gates of hell won't prevail against his church. Are we taking the fight to the gates of hell? Gates gates aren't offensive. Gates are defensive. And yet, we as Christians continue to take a defensive posture in our lives. Are we content to watch Netflix, play video games, go fishing, take a nap, manicure the lawn, sip the coffee while the neighbors and coworkers and family members and friends Kareen head well, headlong towards eternal damnation. Uh, I don't know I want to be you, I want to be a threat. Friends, I want to be a threat to the way that the world does things. Christians are doing far too much hand-wringing in our world. We steep ourselves in anxiety and in fear. Instead of standing up and speaking truth, we're letting the worldly message of self and self-interest dictate how we as Christians are going to live. Instead of letting scripture, the very words of God, inform how we're going to live, we have the word of God and yet we allow deplorable, sin-soaked messaging of the world to push us towards fear. Instead of storming the gates of hell, we're curled up in the fetal position trying to preserve the convenience and comfort that we've been injected with. It's time to wake up. It's time to stop sacrificing the gathering of the body of Christ on Sunday morning for youth, sports, and leisure. It's time to stop making excuses for not reading our Bible. The 45th coronavirus article you posted on Facebook tells me that you have plenty of time this week to read your Bible. It's time to stop sacrificing the discipleship of your spouse and your kids and the men and the women of the local church because it feels awkward and they smell funny. It's time to Stop neglecting to share the gospel with friends and neighbors and coworkers because you don't know how and you won't take the time to be equipped. It's time to be a threat. It's time to abandon everything else other than Jesus. The gates of hell won't prevail. But before you are a threat, This parable tells us that the word of God must fall on good soil. Before you are a threat, the seed must fall on good soil. It must take root and it must bear fruit. Friends, you can't do that by yourself. You cannot do that by yourself, no matter how hard you try. And so pray this week with me that God would make the soil of our hearts receptive to his word if you find yourself in a position this morning where your heart sees a competing narrative, where there is a love inside of you that is greater than the love for Jesus Christ, if you find yourself in a place this morning where the root system has not been developed, where you feel like you are going to be blown about by cultural messaging or by tribulation or by frustration or difficulty, if you feel the word of God, even this very moment, bouncing off the path, and if you are prepared to walk out of this place and not give this thing a mo- another moment's thought, run to Jesus. He will give you the new heart that you need through his mercy and his grace. And may the word of God bear fruit in us. Let's pray.